So I know that here in Gainesville, uh, like many cities, and, and to be honest, the problem here isn't quite nearly as bad as some of the larger cities, but we have an epidemic here in Gainesville called addiction, right? Uh, addiction, and, and usually when you think of addiction, you immediately probably go to drugs, and that's kind of where, where I was going when I, when I thought of this. We have a large uh, homeless population here in Gainesville. We have a homeless ministry that goes out twice a month, and then any other time they can find in between, and we try to minister um, to them as often as we can. But there is sometimes just this, un- you cannot ignore the correlation between homelessness and addiction and how that just ruins lives. And I know that uh, maybe here in this room, in this place today, addiction has either touched you or your family, and it has, it has hurt you. And if you talk to any addict, and they are able to articulate in a way that, it, it, that can really help you understand what they will describe addiction is like, they'll describe it like, like a prison like a slavery almost. You don't want to do these things. Sure, back in the day or when everything started, there was a choice, right? There was a choice, but at some point, the addiction took over, and it's no longer what they want to do. They feel like they have to do it, and, and this is all they amount to, and it becomes a cycle that repeats itself over and over and over until families are destroyed, relationships are messed up, jobs are lost, and, and, and things happen, there was a study, it's actually a TED Talk, and let me get this guy's name right, uh, from 2015 by a guy named Johan Hari. Uh, it's one of my favorite TED Talks, and uh, basically he goes through these studies that they did way back when, and some of the results that they found, uh, there was a, a scientist who, who was seeking to understand addiction, and so what he did was he took rats right? He took rats and he put them in cages all by themselves, and he gave them two options for water, just plain old water, and then water that was laced with cocaine. And wouldn't you know it, in these little rat prisons, the rats over and over and over again went to the water that was laced with cocaine. And so, at first, they said, well, there it is. These drugs are addictive, duh, right? <laughs> and they said, well, that's it. And, but then he started saying, well, you know what? We, we didn't really, you know, test this to the full extent of what we could, right? So, what if, I'm noticing that, you know, these rats are all by themselves. So, what if we do this? What if we put them in, in and he called it like rat park or something like that. It was like a big old thing where they had like, tunnels to run around in, and most importantly, he put them with friends, right? And, and the rats were able to just live their life, and they still had the two options, normal water and water that was laced with cocaine. And wouldn't you know it, the studies began to find that in Rat Park, they didn't care about the water that was laced with drugs. They did another study because they said, well, no, but the drugs themselves, and of course, we all need to understand that there is a nuance here, but the drugs themselves have the chemicals and they alter your brain, and when you get it, then that's it. They began to study people, maybe like you, who broke a bone or had to go into surgery and were prescribed like hospital-strength painkillers. Wouldn't you know that that's drugs, right? That are, those are drugs. It's just the ones you get on the street are very contaminated, and the ones you get at the hospital are clean. And maybe some of you have gone into surgery. Maybe you've broken a bone or something, and they had to prescribe medication to you. They began to notice that those families that had, uh, or those people who had a supportive family and, 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 and things to wake up in the morning for, really, let's just describe it like that, yeah, they took their medication, and when the medications ran out, they went back into, like, normal life, and they did not leave that situation addicted. And so, they began to notice a trend. And what happened also in Portugal, 
or we'll, we'll back up, the criminalization of addiction, right? People, they get into drugs, and when they get caught, they're thrown into prison. And when you, you're in prison, when you come out of prison, if you're lucky enough to come out, you can't get a normal job. You have to go do crazy stuff. Your life is kind of messed up forever. And so what does that do? You get back into that cycle, and people begin to say to themselves, well, what's the point? This is who I am. The system is rigged against me, so I might as well just keep going back to the thing that makes me feel good. And it is like a cycle. They don't want to do it, but it's the only thing in their life, and it circles around and around and around. And so what Portugal did, they had one of the worst drug epidemics uh, and back in, in 2000, they did something radical. They decriminalized all drugs. But they did something. They said, okay, if we do this, the money that we used to spend putting people in prison and, and employing like drug forces, we're going to put all of that money into intense rehabilitation services. So what they did, they said uh, to employers, right, somebody who was caught with drugs, they said, listen, we are going to pay half of this person's salary if you would hire them and give them a reason to get back into society, to wake up in the morning and do their thing. We're going to help you out. We're going to help subsidize all of that. We're going we're to employ therapists and all of these things to get these people back on their feet. And after 15 years, wouldn't you know that the drug epidemic was slashed by 50%? To this day, that's how it is in Portugal. They have not changed. And Johan here, he, he, he makes a uh, conclusion. And he says, everything we know about addiction, and if we understand addiction, you talk to any addict, they will say, it's like slavery. I'm stuck, and they, like, my addiction tells me what to do. And Johan says, everything we know about addiction is wrong. Instead of ostracizing these people, right? Secluding them from community, secluding them from love and making them feel like other, we should increase the love. We should surround them with love and give them purpose and place. And watch what you'll see happen. They are taken out of that slavery. They're taken out of that cycle. And more times than not, they are rehabilitated. It's a very nuanced thing. Maybe we're not ready for it here in the United States, to be honest. And, I, like, I'm not trying to get political. I don't even know how I feel about it because the truth is, like, addiction hurts people. And we want to say, hey, no, but there has to be consequences. And so it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. But when we think of slavery as it pertains to what we've been going over in the book of Galatians, there is an intense correlation between sin and slavery. You are a slave to sin. We're going to read more that you are a slave to the flesh, right? And that's why you do these things, and sin has influenced you, and you are a slave to sin. And the things that you do, it's not because you necessarily want to. It's that you can't help yourself because you're stuck. But as we looked in the first four chapters, praise God, there is one gospel, and that gospel is that Christ has set you free. You are no longer a slave to sin at all. You can walk right out of prison and never turn back and look forward and chart a new path and a new life with Christ because he did all the work for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And in the book of Galatians, like we've said, the church in Galatia was forgetting that. They allowed these people to come in and start to mold their mind and say, listen, no, you have to follow the law. Specifically, the biggest thing the Judaizers, what we call them, were doing, they said you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul comes in and says, what is wrong with you? I told you that Christ is the only way. And so we find ourselves, Galatians chapter 5, with the context of knowing that you are free and the people in Galatia are free if you have, been, if you have entered into a relationship with Christ. And Paul says this, chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, and I read out of the ESV today. 
So if you have a phone or something you want to switch to that, that will help you. So it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, uh, circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. Some versions will say alienated from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through that famous word, love. Verse 2 and 4 here are interesting, right? There's this idea that you have to be justified through the law, and in so doing, in turning back after Christ has set you free, you cannot have both. You cannot have grace and then say, well, I'm going to then do the law and I'll be fine. The verses say that in verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Why? Not because Christ is not all-powerful, but because we have chosen. You have chosen to go back. Listen, there is this idea in the Bible of free will, and I love free will, but freedom comes with consequences. When we do things, there are consequences what we do. If, <laughs> if you are released from prison and you walk outside and you say, ah, I'm going back, you can but then you're not free. You have chosen to go back. Verse 4, that you will be alienated from Christ. And this is something important. You will be severed from Christ. We're going to keep going, and it's, we're going to see that, that the law and, 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 and being a slave to flesh, like you cannot, it's like oil and water. The spirit and the law and flesh cannot Come together. So if you walk out of prison and you are enticed by following the law for means to salvation, those two things cannot coexist. Christ and his sacrifice will be of no advantage to you. You grow farther apart from God this is, the, this, is, this is the irony because it is true that the law is the character of God. And so, like the Jews for so, so, so long to this day will say, well, listen, we're going to follow the law because that's Christ's character or God's character revealed. So, like, we're just going to do that. And yet, in doing that, you actually grow farther away. And I have to think, well... You can read about God, or you can be with God. Those are the two options, right? Those are the, I don't know about you. I read because, you know, this is a very, like, reading-heavy job, right? But if I had the option to say, hey, uh, I know you got to read a lot for this sermon, but would you rather just, like, hang out with God for lunch and, like, he'll help you? Like, uh that's a no-brainer, right? I'm going to go hang out with lunch, or I'm going to go hang out with lunch. I'm going to go hang out with God at lunch. Instead of reading, I want to experience. Instead of, like, trying to understand, I want to be told. And so then again, I do not want you friends to be confused to say then well then the law is bad so let me just let me throw the law out because i don't want to if it's so bad if it's going to alienate me from 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 christ then i don't want to do it the circumcision that we're talking about here the big problem here that the church in galatia is being told you must be 
circumcised because the law says so to be saved. The circumcision is not the problem. It's the idea that is being put out there that you have to do X, Y, and Z to be saved, that you can do it on your own outside of Christ. Paul is a Jew. He is circumcised. That's what they did. They grew up that way. So it's like, oh, because Paul's circumcised and he's not going to... No. It's up here. It's your mentality. It's, your, it's what drives you, right? It's, it's what leads you. Are you leading out of the flesh? Are you leading out of trying to be justified on your own? Or are you leaning into Christ who's done it all for you? That's where it is. The confusion here that Paul is making, uh, uh, he's trying to clear up, is that it is only in Christ. What is it? Verse 6. Yeah, at the end. But only faith working through love. That's the only thing that matters. So we move on. We're going to jump over here to verse 13. Because, and, and this is always the number one thing, and Galatians is essentially the condensed version of the book of Romans, right? So, in Romans 6, it starts out, so what then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? No, absolutely not, right? That's what happens. You see here uh, in verse 15, that same question is being addressed, because that makes sense, right? Well, if I, if I leave the law then that gives me like a a, a starting point to then just do whatever I want. And that is not what Paul is saying. Verse 13 clarifies when it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We're actually going to keep going here. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's talk about this word flesh. Uh, In Greek, I didn't even have to look this one up. I remember this word from from class. it's the word sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx. It's an ugly word. It is. I mean, that's why it's so easy to remember because, like, we'd be reading. It's like, yeah, this, 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 sarx, ew, keep going, this, 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 this. It's a nasty word. It's an ugly word. And I think that's on purpose because when we are described as living in the flesh, just visually, like the way that we can describe this is when you live in the flesh, when you are a slave to the flesh, you are nothing more than a sack of, of, of skin and muscle and, and, and bones. You are good for nothing if you live in the flesh. The flesh is useless. It can't do anything good. It can't on its own. It, it's, it's nasty and it's worthless. Sarks. Ugh. I don't know if you guys heard that, but my watch has said, I don't know how to respond to that, <laughs> this thing. <laughs> to be a slave to the flesh, and we're gonna, it, it continues to describe the, the, the flesh. Just know when we're talking about, hey, like the, the, the spirit of the flesh and the, or the, the works of the flesh, it's nasty. On our own, there is that verse that on our own, what we do is filthy rags. The reason is because sarks is gross. It's nasty and it's pointless and it's, and it's useless on our own to in the flesh say, well, I'm going to try to fix this. You cannot. 
right? We are humans. We are limited in what we can do. That's just the reality of it. But an all-powerful God loved you to the point that he stood in the way of our consequence and died for you, and in so doing, freed you from sarks. We no longer live in that nasty, fleshy sack of muscle and bone. We now live in the Spirit. So listen listen here. Uh, The verses continue that in that freedom, in that freedom, you are now free. You're no longer sarks. Why would you leave that, turn around and see how nasty it was and say, actually, I'm going to get back in that. And you just like put it back on, right? We read last week about being clothed in Christ. Why are you going to clothe yourself back in, in the old? Why would you go back to that? That's the point that Paul is just screaming in this letter. Don't go backwards, Verse 19, chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There is an intentionality in the words used here. The works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the works, the reason The reason they use the word works, the reason Paul was intentional in using the word works and not saying the fruit of the flesh is because, again, what I said before, the flesh is humanity. It is limited. On our own, all we can do is work. Are you following what I'm saying? So in that sin, all that is is the works of sin. Sin has no power placed up next to God. Remember we read earlier, they cannot coexist. All that sarks can do is work and work and work and work and work. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? The reason it's the fruit is because that's not something that we did. It's in Christ that now we bear these fruits. Sarks cannot be gentle, right? Sarks cannot be loving. It cannot, you know, it it, it cannot be faithful. When we are thinking of the Spirit, what we're thinking of is, is God. These are attributes that only God has. And as we live in Him, we then are able to like, emulate those characteristics, not by ourselves, left to our own. What do we got? Drunkenness and debauchery and all of that. Sarks. And then verse 18 says this, I'll read it again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why does he make a point here to say? Like, if, if you're reading this and you were like, well, like, Sarks is really bad. It's the flesh that's bad. So if, if we live by these things, then we are no longer under the flesh. But Paul says the law. Why? Mind you, remember, that Galatians is a smaller version 
of Romans. And so to get the answer, we need to turn briefly over to Romans, uh, Romans chapter 7. And this is, a, this is a concept that is, it might make you uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable because, it, it, but again, who am I to argue with the Bible? <laughs> and so at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I guess though it doesn't matter how I feel because this is how God feels. So uh, in verse, or let me ask you this, actually, let's do this first. What happens? And I need you to be honest. You're in church. Don't lie. What happens if I ask you, do not think of an elephant? What'd you just do? You thought of an elephant, right? Don't lie. Right? If I say, hey, um, don't think about lunch right now. I'm like, oh, wait a second. The sarks in me is very hungry right now. I wasn't aware of it until you said something. In chapter 7 of Romans, verse 5, Paul is describing, uh, he's, he's describing a concept here that, like I said, might feel uncomfortable, but it makes sense. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the, or aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Wait a second. What? <laughs> Read it again. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. What then? Shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. We've talked about this before. It's my favorite analogy. The law is a mirror. It shows you where you're dirty, but it does not clean you. That's the concept here. Verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, though it killed me. We have to understand, though, and Paul rounds this out in verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Don't think of an elephant. You just thought of an elephant. Don't think of a ship. You just thought of a ship. Don't think about lunch. You just thought about lunch. The law says, do not covet your neighbor. So what is, then what did Paul say happened? He's like, the second I realized I shouldn't be doing that, that's all I could do. This is, this is like psychology almost, right? Like that reverse psychology. Don't lie. Oh man, well now I'm acutely aware of the lies and, and I can't stop and it becomes this, this cycle and now, and now I'm, I, I just... The law brings condemnation. We've talked about that in the other chapters. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is an interesting concept to me as I, as I studied this that we actually see that played out again in real life. We, I mentioned it in the very beginning. A person makes a mistake, becomes addicted to drugs, is arrested, is put into the system, comes out, is unable to really re-enter society in a way that is profitable, and they start it again and again and again. 
Because there's just this weird psychological thing. When someone tells us not to do something, that's all we want to do. And yet the law is righteous and good. It is. We should not do drugs. And yet, when put under the law, and that law is good, do not get me mixed up here, friends. Do not go somewhere and say, can you believe that the pastor said that we should just getting high and, and no that law is good do not do drugs or we will step in and do something about it and yet when you're stuck in the law when you're stuck in the system you are easily and like just trapped in the cycle in the slavery to the system in slavery to the law when paul is saying, and going back to Galatians 6, or uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the law is righteous and good. Our freedom does not give us merit to then sin. But when we say, don't think of lunch, Sarks steps in and immediately thinks of lunch. Because why? The flesh is opposite of God. It is opposite of love. Which is, again, this is like its whole other sermon, why it is so insane that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a whole other thing. When we step out from under the law, now mind you, the law is righteous and it is good. But what if we did this, right? Uh, And I said to you, instead of don't, you know, don't think about coveting, immediately we want to covet. What if we said, hey, I'm going to simplify it for you. Think of God. Think of Christ. Okay, I can do that. Think of Christ. And, and if Christ is good and, and the law is just the character written down of God, and the more we get close to Christ, the more we fall in line with that law. And instead of bearing the fruit, or the works rather, of the flesh, the works of sarks, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We then, because we are now in Christ, we are no longer under the law, bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it's in that that we find ourselves in chapter 6. Now, again, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't finish verse 25 of chapter 5 and then say, "Ah, I'll finish the rest tomorrow. He wrote this as one long letter, and later on people came in and put the verses and divisions of chapters and things like that. So we need to read continuously that this next portion, the chapter 6, is just a continuation of this thought that as you are now in Christ, you bear the fruits of the Spirit. And in that, we find the right way as we live our life in the Spirit on how we should then interact, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ who may falter and make a mistake from time to time. Maybe it's not even a mistake. Maybe it's just the weight of the world and the world as it is, which is corrupted by sin that just puts a weight on you or your friends or your family and those in Christ. Verse 
1 of chapter 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, right? Because these people now live in the spirit and not of the flesh. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Where did you hear that? The fruit of the spirit. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Where did you hear that? Self-control. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's an issue because, and there are people who have been the victim of this, where with good intentions of saying, hey, you made a mistake, brother. You made a mistake, sister. What do we come to them in the spirit of? The spirit of the flesh, the law. Hey, this is what you did wrong. And we have to just address this. You need to, you need to study that thing and understand that thing so that you don't do it again. And it's not done in a gentle way. And there are people You may know some, they may be in your families, they may be your friends who used to sit next to here in church or at a church growing up, and they are not next to you now. Because when they faltered, they were met with a spirit of flesh and not the spirit of Christ, right? The spirit. They were not rehabilitated as... Uh, restored, rather, as the text says, through a fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. What would it look like if when those who are in the Spirit of, of God, those who are in the Spirit, who live life in the Spirit, make a mistake? And now, mind you, because you're going to say, well, in those verses before, Paul said, well, the people who live in the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to understand that that is what we would consider a habitual, like conscious decision to say, I don't need the Spirit. I'm going to keep doing my thing because it gratifies me and it feels good, and I want to just keep doing those things. What we're talking about in verse 6 are good people, your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. In fact, that word restore in Greek comes from like the, 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 the imagery of like when somebody breaks a bone and they would set the bone back in place, right? Very like body of Christ imagery. When something's wrong, you set it right so that it can heal. You don't just leave it alone because that's, that's sometimes the other side of the thing. We say, well, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, all of that. So I'm going to just love and, and I'm not going to confront and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of leave it alone, and like, it's going to figure it out on its own. That's not how people who live life in the Spirit live. I know people who have uh, broken a bone, like they break like their pinky or something, and then it's like, ah, it's just, you know, it'll, it'll heal itself. And then like for the rest of their life, their pinky's facing this way because it never got set right. You didn't want to, you know what I mean? Like you didn't want to worry about it. Like it'll figure itself out on its own. That's not what people who live in the Spirit do. They do restore. They do set things back into place, but they do it with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They do those things through the Spirit. And when they do that, they bear the burden together, right? We're, we're, we're a body of Christ. We spent like a whole series talking about that, right? When your pinky hurts, your whole body hurts. I don't know why, right? Your, your, your shoulder hurts. You can't sleep, right? So then your brain is all foggy and, and you know what I mean? Like everything's connected. And so we bear one another's burdens And in so doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Goes back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, 
verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not your freedom, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bury you one another's burdens is not only when somebody sins. Like I mentioned, there are going to be times where bad things happen to good people. When life just does what life does. We did that last week. There's a memorial service right here. One of our brothers and sisters lost their daughter. And I was happy to see people who showed up who maybe don't even know them well, but they're their brother and their sister. We together were bearing that burden together and fulfilling the law of Christ. There's been loss here in this church that has stung. It's stung. It's been bad. We've bared one another's burdens as best we can, and we try to do it in line with the Spirit, and we do our best to fulfill the law of Christ, and by our own merits, it means nothing, but in Christ, it means everything. What would it look like if when we bear one another's burdens in life, we reminded people not of the sin, not of the thing that's happening to them, But in the Spirit, we reminded them, remember this from last week, of their sonship in Christ. So that those things that are happening around them, they say, oh man, but I messed up. Like I, I, I smoked a cigarette after I haven't done it for like two years. And you say, man, you are not defined by that. You are defined as a son of Christ. So come out of that. Come out of that, come closer to Christ, and the addiction to nicotine will leave. Come closer to Christ, and your addiction to narcotics will leave because they are opposites. They cannot coexist in the same body. You say, but... Man, like, I'm just having a rough time financially. I got bills on the table that I haven't looked at because I know I can't afford them, and it must be me. It must be something about me, and you can look at them and say, you are a son of Christ. Poverty does not define you. As a son, you are taken care of. (laughs) I was just talking to somebody today. I was telling them uh, this morning. Literally, I, I wasn't planning on talking to them, but I was like, man, this is actually kind of coming together. I was telling them about when Raquel and I lived in Michigan, and I was living on a stipend, $1,200 a month. That's crazy because my rent now, $1,200 a month. And there were times I was just telling him, I was like, yeah, man, rent, you know, it's Michigan. It's Berrien Springs, so rent is really cheap because nobody lives out there. So it was like, well, I got $1,200, $600 of that was rent. And then the snow started falling. We were out of our element. We realized that our tires were putting our lives in danger. (laughs) So what did I do? I went and I said, listen, I need some tires that will protect me. And they said, that's fine, $700. And I said, well, hold on, the math is not adding up. $600 for rent. 700 for tires. I am negative $100 right now. But because I am a son of God, I'm a son of Christ, Raquel and I ate every day. The electricity was never shut off. Right? We didn't freeze because we still had heat. Raquel was still able to go to class. We made our payments. How? I don't know. But because I am a son of Christ, we were taken care of. Because Raquel is a a daughter, and and theologically, and we talk about this, a son of Christ, 
you have questions, I'll mention that later to you. But because Raquel is a son of Christ, she was taken care of. We were fine. Listen, we weren't staying at the Ritz-Carlton, but we did not die. We did not starve. What would it look like? What would it look like in life when the burdens of life, be it the old flesh trying to come back to haunt us or just life's burdens, what would it look like if we met our brothers and sisters and reminded them not of the law and thus thrust them back into the slavery which God freed them from, but reminded them of their sonship in Christ. The text says that we don't have to go back to the flesh ever because it's dead And dead things have no power over you. It says that we crucified our flesh with Christ on the cross. It's dead. It's gone. And I read a commentary that was saying, like, there are moments crucifixion wasn't an instant thing. Jesus died much faster than the average person died on the cross. But even it, it wasn't like two seconds later. There was a moment there where the people around were watching Jesus suffer and die, and accusations were being hurled against him. As we crucify ourselves with Christ, and especially for you brothers and sisters who might be new to this, who are trying to work through this thing, you have questions, you want to get involved, you want to, you want to start a new life. When you crucify the old flesh to the cross, it's still able to hurl insults at you. It's still able to accuse you because it's not dead immediately. But as it hangs on the cross, its power over you is over. And as it yells at you and says, this isn't who you are, who do you think? This is you. You are me up on the cross You can look to Christ and understand that that is not you anymore. You are now a son of the King. You now live a life in the Spirit. So I ask again, what if, like Johan in the very beginning, who proposed, what if everything we know about addiction is wrong. I propose the same thing. What if everything we know about slavery to sin is wrong? As we try to fix it by saying, well, if I could just stop smoking on my own, or if I could just stop doing this thing on my own, if I could just stop on my own and, and, and adhere to these, these things, if I could just stop coveting, if I could just stop lying, if I could just stop cheating because those sound like noble things, and we've all done that. We say, God, never again. I'm never going to lie again. Well, you just lied. You lied in that. What if everything we knew about slavery to sin was long, wrong? What if we took the same principle of that freedom, right, and of brothers and sisters? I broke the thing. There it goes. Of brothers and sisters restoring you in the spirit of gentleness and truth and and love, joy, peace, right? What would our lives look like then? Well, if the studies on uh, addiction mirror, which I believe, what happens as we live life in the spirit, I think the world would be a better place place. So listen today, if you're saying to yourself, listen, I got to be honest, I live habitually in the flesh. I live habitually in sarks 
and, and I have tried. And the reason I live habitually in the flesh is because I've tried on my own to say, I am no longer going to do this. I'm no longer going to do that. I'm going to try to pick my own, myself up by the bootstraps and just move on and never look back. Well, I've got to tell you that Sarks is holding on to you because you haven't allowed Christ to fill your life. As Christ comes in, he pushes the flesh out. If this is something, like I said, if this is the first day and you just showed up to church and were like, I don't know why I'm here, I'm glad that you're here because you just got the gospel today, the good news that Christ is for you and not against you. What about that radical idea that God loves you? Right? If you want to make that first step, I, I want you to stand. And if you're saying, hey, listen, like I have, you know, I have been baptized and I have already been doing this thing, but I realize more that when I get uncomfortable and I get into situations, I lean more into the law and trying to do things on my own than I do leaning into Christ. I want you to stand as well. I want to pray a blessing over your life today as we move forward. So as we pray, just stand as you feel moved. Our kind and heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you so much. God, I, I know that it's hard to just believe this. It, it feels hard to, to, to do things that in, in our mind sound counterintuitive. But you are a God that if we really try to dissect, the things you do for us make no sense. So why would this be any different? Lord, I, I, I ask that you would forgive us for the years that we have lived habitually in the flesh, that we've tried in our own merit to say, I will be righteous on my own. Lord, fill the hearts of these people standing here today and those under the sound of my voice on, online or on the podcast who are, who are making a decision today to say, I'm going to lean into my sonship in Christ. God, as they, as they nail their old self to the cross, as it loses its power but still has the ability to yell insults and hurl lies their way, God, bolster their spirits. God, may we in the Spirit, those who live in the Spirit, those who are spiritual, bear their burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. God, may we be more and more like love today. I pray in your name. Amen.